Welcome back to the Living Every Now podcast. My name is Will. My name is Jake. And today I want to talk about interfaces, which is going to sound kind of weird because that's not what we usually talk about here. It's not like <laughs> an intention-driven topic. Okay. But I've been thinking a lot about different kinds of thoughts and the way our brain thinks and trying to understand a little bit more about how to control thinking. And the more research and reading I do into this, the more I think that interfaces are kind of like a mind control trick. Like conduits for the way we think? Yes. Like an interface is a way to get you to think a specific thought or think in a specific way or interact with a specific kind of thought. So a super simple example of that, music is a super you know, prevalent kind of thought we can have, or it is a way our brain thinks it's very like emotional Mm -hmm. and a guitar is an interface to music. Okay. Now, where did you get, I don't, I don't mean to derail, but where did you get, where did you get the mind control, uh, sort of notion from that feels like there might be somebody initializing these things. No, Mind can, I just don't really know how to explain it. Okay. Uh, mind, like, it's because it's kind of involuntary. If someone starts playing a guitar right. and you're hearing it, your brain automatically has that thought. If you look at a sign and you read something, your brain automatically reads it. Well, it's very interesting in, if when you bring this up because as a product person, mm-hmm you're constantly designing things that are tech interfaces for yeah. people to user interfaces are, is a way to interact with right. the kind of thought that the business logic of that app has. Very interesting. So I think that puts a interesting like responsibility on somebody like me mm-hmm. who's or us as podcasters, people are listening to this. True. We are putting thoughts into their brains right now. They literally <laughs> do not have a choice but to parse the sounds coming into their ears as words and understand what we're saying. How interesting. Okay, cool. I'm, I'm here for it. <laughs> so if, if that's kind of the baseline okay. of, of what an interface is, I, I want to think about how to use interfaces in powerful ways and to think about what a powerful interface is and what a powerful thought is and how you how you can make your life better by choosing interfaces wisely. Okay, what's a what is the uh, quote unquote power uh, in an interface? What is a powerful interface for you? Something that does blank. Powerful interface is something that gives you a powerful thought. It, it mind controls you, your brain in a way that gives you a new or more interesting or more useful thought. So okay. maybe it's about expressiveness in a way, like. I think I'm I'm gonna get there in this conversation eventually, but um, you know those bop it machines, those games. Yeah, I love they them. They kind of make sounds. Yeah, and like if you really wanted to, you could use that as an instrument. Yeah, but a guitar is a much more powerful interface because it's much more expressive in the sounds it can have. You can produce much more expressive and powerful thoughts with a guitar than with a bop it. A- so that's what I mean by a powerful interface. Okay, so it has more. It has more adaptability and more options for you to communicate. Correct. Okay. The, the so does, I guess I'm just gonna like get 
it'll help us in our conversation if okay. I kind of lay down this this one more piece. Okay. Which is that language is the fundamental interface to all thoughts. Um, and the more powerful your vocabulary is, the more powerful thoughts you can have. Um, so if you think of interfaces as a language, the more words you have in that language, the more powerful it is. So is there a direct relationship between the complexity of an interface and the power that it uh, can wield? I would say it is a laggy um, proportional relationship, which means... Yeah, what do you... I don't know that. <laughs> if, that's a, if that's a thing. I don't know that. So if you accept the premise here that an interface cannot be simpler than the problem that it solves or the the power of the thought that it provides, then a really, really powerful thought requires a powerful interface. A really, really simple thought, it could have a really complex interface, but it doesn't need one. Got so it. Okay. You, you, a an interface can always be more complex, but it can never be less complex than the thought that it interfaces with. So like the problem it solves it has to be at least as complex. Yes. So Got it. you could still have a bad interface, which is really complex and doesn't actually solve a complex problem mm -hmm. or give a complex idea, but that's just a bad interface. Cause I can play one note on that guitar mm -hmm. and it's super simple idea as far as sonically. Yeah. But I have the ability to play hundreds of mm -hmm. notes. So I think that's interesting. Yeah, super, it, super it really cool. is interesting. So, so how does this apply? How do how do we how do we start being more intentional about the interfaces we in, indulge in and I guess surround ourselves with? And where does I guess I, another question for me is, it's kind of the way you're using interface is sort of abstract. I mean, I I, I see the line, I see the uh, connection there, but you know where where are our interfaces? What are we interacting with technically? Um, how do we surround ourselves with better interfaces? So I think interface is kind of anything. Okay. Anything that you use to interact with another system. Uh, and sometimes that system is just a thought. Okay. Um, but getting caught up on the definition of an inter interface, honestly, I don't really know exactly what is and is not an interface because anything could be used as an interface. Okay. Uh, but the two, I guess, axes of control that interfaces have, which make them more valuable in my opinion, is one, like I was saying, the vocabulary. The more words you can say with that thing uh, allows you to express more thoughts. Uh, so for like Notion, it's mm -hmm. a digital interface, so it's very, very clear connection to interface here. Yeah, It's much more complicated than most productivity tools. Mm -hmm. Thus, it suits a lot more needs. And I, I, I can see the clear... Uh, direction of what you're saying based off of something sort of concrete like Notion yeah. that has a lot of different tools. There's so many different kinds of blocks you can have in Notion, right? which means that there's lots of different kinds of ideas you can have in Notion. And thus can solve more complex problems? Mm -hmm. and than, than like okay. a text pad really Very or something. Cool. cool. The second axis, there, there might be more um, axes, but the, Fair. the Fair. other one that I can think of is kind of the extensibility of the vocabulary. So in English, we can always come up with new words for new thoughts, or we can combine words in new ways. And there's no central authority for what 
the language is. It's just if two people talk, they can create their own interface by creating two words. And as long as you understand me, then that interface is valid. And it's really important that interfaces be able to adapt to new problems and new kinds of thoughts. And to kind of bring that into like a concrete, uh, you know, into an example, um, like programming is an interface to computers. But because computers are changing and like what they look like and what they're embedded in is constantly changing, software has to be able to adapt to those new problems. And the more powerful that software or the computer programming language is, the more power you have over those new kinds of problems. Okay. Does that make sense? So just like as the landscape shifts, the complexity does as well? As the landscape shifts, the interfaces shift. Okay. Because the interfaces have to adapt to the new complexity. So I think if you're seeking out powerful interfaces, which you should do because it takes a lot of time to learn a good interface, a powerful interface, uh, learning a new language is really complex. Learning to play the guitar well takes a really, really long time. Totally. (laughs) So if you're going to spend a lot of time thinking about which of these interfaces is worth my time to learn, Mm I think the two things you should look for is the, the depth of the vocabulary and I guess the innovatability. Like how can you, can I tune this guitar differently to make a sound that no one's ever made before if I needed to? Interesting. Okay. Or you know, maybe like a patch synth. Can I create a patch that no one else has ever made before uh, in a way that innovates and creates something new for a new problem or a new kind of thought that no one even knew that they were ever going to have? Right. So, Wow. Super. I like how you keep using the music examples because I'm really understanding what you're okay. saying. Um, what can you give us an, any examples of what you're using in your life that you're like really happy with as far as intentional, complicated in- interfaces that mm-hmm. that are working for you? Yeah. So the the one that got me really started in this conversation was I think computers are eventually going to be embedded in everything that we have in our daily lives. And I got that idea from uh, this blog chain called Breaking Smart, which I recommend that a lot of people go read if you're interested in the future of work and how technology changes humanity. And one of the central premises is that if uh, computers eventually integrate with most of the physical objects in our life, then the software to control those interf- the, those computers become incredibly important. Um, and they actually make the claim that software is one of the top three most important human innovations ever, along with writing and money. So just because of how impactfully they believe it will change the future. Totally, yeah. So if you believe that software is a hugely important interface to computers, what is an interface to software? How do you, how do you interface with writing software like so we're talking terminals and text editors or anything like like tools that help you remember functions or mm-hmm. ways to learn programming languages more effectively or ways to manage your files more effectively or something mm-hmm. how can you interface with the code more effectively because that code if you can interface with it more effectively you can interface with the computers more effectively so it's like layering interfaces on top of each other so that you can control the base layer thinking more powerfully. So 
if you're into the computer world, you've probably heard of Emacs, which is <laughs> basically what I'm talking about. It's an interface for controlling software. And it's written in its own language called eLisp. So if you learn eLisp, that's a interface to control Emacs, which is an interface to control software, which is an interface to control computers, which is an interface to control the physical world. So by <laughs> so Emacs is God, is what you're saying. I no, I don't think Emacs is God, <laughs> but Emacs is an incredibly powerful tool because it because it ultimately shapes is is the language and interface for our future because of how software is going to play an important role in our yeah. future and the fact that you can control software with Emacs. Yeah, the the way I guess the the thoughts that you can have inside of Emacs are different than the thoughts that I can have in my daily life. Kind of like how the thought you can have by playing a guitar is different than the thought you have having this conversation. Totally. So yeah. it's expanding the vocabulary of my mind mm -hmm. in a way that's not um, language-based. I think very practically, like if you go back to language, you learn three new languages, you probably write better because you have so much more thoughts that you can actually mm -hmm. have because... Maybe this this word doesn't even exist in English. Mm -hmm. um, I know just Russian to English. There's so many words in Russian that don't even translate to English. Yeah. So it's it's you know you're opening yourself up to whole new worlds when you take that dive. Mm -hmm. um, I think yeah. I I just find I think and again going off language that there's sort of an impracticality when you're not surrounded by the language, mm. and so. There's an impracticality to learning the language when you're not surrounded by language, much like there's an impracticality to taking coding classes when you're not coding every day. Mm -hmm. So I guess how do you how do you deal with that as you as you navigate interfaces and are trying to add to your more or less your vocabulary across a lot of different platforms? Do you do you uh, yeah, I think you're totally right. Do you uh, try and dedicate yourself to Emacs more, like give time to it or something every day? Like how do you how do you surround yourself with these things that are more complex when your environment doesn't necessarily reflect it? Well, for me, my environment does reflect it because okay. I work on a computer every single day. I write software for a living. Got it. Got it. Got so, it. I think you're completely right, though, that choosing which interfaces to learn is a huge, important decision because it takes a long, long time to learn a language. It will take me probably three years to to learn Emacs completely. Right. I mean. Over seven years on this guitar and I yeah. still don't know shit. <laughs> Music, I, I don't know like what a good heuristic for which interfaces you should learn are. And it should, I think, generally be dictated by what your personal preferences are. I was just thinking that because like for me, it's very valuable to learn a mm -hmm. guitar, but not for you. Yeah. And I, I actually do think it's probably valuable for me to learn Emacs, but, <laughs> but it doesn't really translate backwards. I don't know. E Emacs is like an entire system and it really benefits you if you spend all day inside of it, which mm -hmm. a lot of people do when they get really into it. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know. It's interesting, but it is kind of a responsibility to to learn it. And if you take on that responsibility, I think your life will be better. It's a big claim. Your life will be better if you learn Emacs. Wow. But <laughs> it, it is a lot of work because yeah. the thoughts you can have in it are really, really powerful. And because those thoughts are powerful, the interface is really complex. And there's, I don't know, probably 10,000 individual written commands that are not even accessible via keyboard shortcuts. They're just commands that you can type in. Wow. And then plus 
because it's written in the same language that you extend it in, there's no part of the source code that you can't change to make it whatever you want. So it's the ultimate, ultimately adaptable tool. Interesting. Yeah. It's also very interesting too, I think, the layering of these tools because, for example, um, Notion feels very versatile. Mm. But then you take it one step higher and I don't even know what that would be. Maybe you build your own notion mm. and you can do literally anything and then you take it one step higher and you're controlling the interface that builds that said mm-hmm. notion and that's emacs and and you know what what is beyond this how do we how do we even get more complexity is there a limit to complexity is there a threshold to complexity i don't think interface? so i think that that is what innovation is it's layering on top of it's pretty cool interfaces of the past mm-hmm. so when someone invents something it's not like that invention stops there yeah if, if it's a good invention it has a a good interface for it to interact with other ideas so that people can then come and build an interface on top of it and control that. And we kind of layer up these ideas uh, as we build knowledge in the world. Do you have any uh, immediate benefits that you can kind of tell us about from learning a tool like Emacs, for example? I think the biggest one is just understanding or realizing how malleable our thinking is and how how many different paradigms of thinking there really are. Okay. Uh, and it's so not limited to what we traditionally think of as thought. Like an algorithm is a thought. It's okay. just a, a really weird kind of thinking that people naturally don't think in because we're not robots, we're people. Right. But if you deeply understand algorithms you deeply understand the world around you, which is filled with computers. I think I think this is kind of going back to something you touched on when we had our code episode, is that as you sort of learn these new things, you start thinking about the world differently. Because you have an entirely new vocabulary to think about the world with. Right. I guess this translates actually very much to design even. Mm-hmm. Um, you start to see the world as a designer and totally out of my own control. I noticed things in an environment that uh, most people don't. I recently got a friend and she uh, like sees the same shit I see. And I'm like, that's, it's just a designer. Yeah, you guys thing. speak I, the same design yeah, language. It's so interesting to, mm-hmm. to notice that because I, oftentimes the interaction isn't as clear that, that other people are seeing that. And so it's totally because of the interfaces we use on a day-to-day basis that we sort of have it have to have that lens and then we start to see the world differently. I guess that's a little different, but like, like JavaScript's a much clearer example. Like, you know, it's, it's something everybody can really learn. It's not, it's not too hard to learn, but you start learning about loops and you're like, Oh, this is, you know, I can solve problems differently Mm -hmm. than maybe I once could. Yeah. And when I was thinking about the topic for this episode, I was trying to push myself to think about other kinds of important thoughts Mm-hmm. Um, like an algorithm or what are those other kinds of thoughts out there that I haven't explored because I, I've never delved into an interface to learn them. Yeah. So interesting. I'm trying to think like visuals is a kind of thought kind of like how music is. Yeah. And there's tons of different interfaces for visuals. There's just like a pen and paper. Mm-hmm. There's, you know, Photoshop or whatever. Yeah. Any digital software, like mm-hmm. just sketch tool. And I got, a little bit down the the v- software visual rabbit hole. Uh-oh. 
<laughs> and I was thinking about trying to apply my two principles about what makes a good interface. You have to be able to have a depth of vocabulary, which Photoshop does, because mm-hmm. there's so many different things you can tweak and change about a photo. Right. But you also have to be extensible. You have to be able to adapt it to new you know, challenges in the visual space if you needed to. And Photoshop does not do that. Yeah, right. Uh, so I was thinking what softwares do do that. Okay. And this, of course, brings me to the free software movement. I was gonna, I was just going to say that because like anytime you have a proprietor of a software, a centralized proprietor of mm-hmm. a software, they're, they're almost automatically not going to be extensible. Exactly. And if someone controls the software, they control the interface, which means there's a central authority of what kind of thoughts you can have inside of that that piece of software. So this is decentralization propaganda. <laughs> no, no. I'm just kidding, I'm kidding. But the decentralization <laughs> and open sourcing of software is essentially the decentralization of what kind of thoughts you can have. Totally. Yeah, it opens the room. Which like, is really interesting. That is really interesting. And especially with the current climate of things. If if you're on the if you're an internet person mm-hmm. as of today, the there's a clear DeFi movement that's kind of sweeping the internet by storm, mm-hmm. it seems. And I think it unlocks so much for so many different areas. Um, just just thinking about decentralization and and many different avenues is is super interesting. Like for music, for example. You know, what if there was no central streaming service and mm-hmm. and we were just streaming off some sort of, I don't know, like ledger? I don't know how you how that yeah, works. Everyone controls their own server Super. from which they can serve their own songs or and movies artists, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Artists can make more money. You don't money. need a centralized platform. If you're interested in this at all, like the decentralization and the the freedom that technology has the potential to give us all, mm-hmm. instead of locking us all down into these like uh, basically businesses where we're being monetized. Yeah. If, if that interests you at all, I would highly recommend reading some of Richard Stallman's uh, open letters. He was the one who founded the Free Software Foundation. Oh. He was the one who wrote Emacs. He created most of the Linux operating system. Uh, incredibly prolific guy and has a lot of interesting ideas about why if you take the the breaking smart perspective, which is software and computers are going to be the future regardless, there's kind of two paths. One, which is everyone controls their software space and then one where only like the elite business owners control everything. And it's very clear which one of those we want. Yeah. uh, Which means it's incredibly important that we simplify the landscape of software in a way that allows people to control their own uh, digital spaces and be in control of their own spaces. Yeah. Completely peer to peer, completely serverless, decentralized. Yeah. I don't know. Really interesting. Look yeah. into his work. Isn't there a caveat that he's like some sort of Marxist or something too? I don't know. Oh, is that not the same guy you were talking to me about? No, no, no. Um, okay. That's, okay. That's, Never mind. Sorry. That's Manisha's mold bug. He's a, <laughs> he's a alt-right writer, but also a mega genius. Okay. All right. Sorry. No. Sorry to derail. Yeah. What, that, what that had me thinking about as we were talking about it, and I, again, sorry to derail, but I'm thinking about um, like what that means for economic structures. Like our economists are going to have a 
fun time in the next 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're all going to have a fun time in the next 20 no, years we, if we, we can get are, our shit together. We, we have the opportunity to think about everything differently. And I think that's that's super exciting. Mm-hmm. Honestly, uh, it just allows for like what you're saying is is more more ideas we've never been exposed to. Mm-hmm. Like just just the inception of a DeFi movement. Everybody's thinking about everything differently. Like, I never would have had the thought of a decentralized streaming platform if mm-hmm. I didn't un- if I wasn't privy to those ideas before yeah. that. And the technology is all there. The bottleneck is really just adoption, which is a genuinely hard problem because YouTube works and there's power in YouTube because everyone's videos are on YouTube. Right. But if everyone had their videos on, you know, all these different sites, it kind of loses its value because you have to go to all these different sites. So centralization is not invaluable. It's just hard to, I don't know, get the same value. They have these, this thing called Odyssey, which is called a federated um, technology which allows everyone to host their videos. It's a YouTube clone. Everyone can host their videos on their own servers independently, but then syndicate them all on Odyssey as if it was YouTube. Okay, that's literally what I was just thinking about. I was like, yeah. that's what the future is. It's it's streaming platforms that are centralized, but mm-hmm. uh, basically syndicated decentra- from a decentralized yeah. Platform. That whole technology space is called federated technologies. It's really, really interesting. Okay, so I'm gonna. I know what I'm doing the rest of my day. <laughs> yeah, uh, a lot of it is based in in blockchain stuff, which is still still coming out, and I'm not really sure how it all works. But I I did just buy some Ethereum because I've been reading a lot about it, so I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. It's just really exciting and really interesting. Sure, that's fucking cool, yeah. man. Well, I'm so excited. I feel like this was a um important conversation. Also a hot button. One. It was all, all over there, honestly. Kind of all over the place in, in the ideas, but... Honestly, I liked it, though. It, it felt like it covered a lot of things that are relevant and mm. also things that people can... So I don't know how actionable, because like I don't think everybody's yeah. just going to go download Emacs right now, but... like I don't think you should, honestly. <laughs> but I do think you can think about the ways you're interacting with your environment and, mm-hmm. and thoughts you're having. Yeah, what are the interfaces... What ideas do you care about? What types of thoughts do you care about? Right. And what are the what is the most powerful interface possible for that kind of thought? Right. Like, yeah. Maybe maybe picking up a guitar and articulating yourself through sonics is something mm-hmm. that is really interesting. I actually recommend you start with piano because it's way easier to like press a button and then the sound comes out more or less. Yeah. <laughs> I wish I was more musical just so that I could have access to that language. It's understanding like the wheel of um the sonics and how that ties in with like the color wheel and everything and just understanding vibrations. That's a whole language. I don't even understand. Dude, honestly, I took, I didn't take music theory until my junior year of college at the end of my junior year of college. And I've been producing for, you know, five, 10 years before that. Not and not, you know, five years, seriously, 10 years kind of for fun. Mm -hmm. But all my point was like, all of it was intuited before the music theory, but when I learned the music theory, it blew my mind because all the things I thought were happening based off of intuition were validated through like what you're saying, like understanding mm-hmm. spectral planes and, and, and sonics penetrating like our, our emotions. Like why does, why does this key make me feel this way? And we can get into that another time. Cause it's, it's a whole fucking conversation, but super like, you're right. It's super fucking interesting. Even as somebody that does it all the time for me to have context in, in music, like learning music theory is another, is another way to express myself Mm -hmm. through music more accurately. And yeah, you're learning the vocabulary of music. Exactly. Exactly. So I, I totally vouch for your idea here. I think it's really strong. 
Cool. Cool. Fuck yeah. Thanks for being here, boys and girls. I enjoyed it. <laughs> Thanks for bringing that topic up. Where can they find us? We are on the internet at liveinevernow.com. We are on Twitter and Instagram at liveinevernow. And we have a Discord server, which is popping off. So come join us. There's a link to that in the show notes below. Oh, yeah. And the accountability channel almost works. Yeah. It's probably going to be in uh, you know, our beta testing area for a few more weeks, but we'll see. Will and I are using it thus far. It's, yeah, it's, it's cool. got some tweaks to iron out, but it'll get there. Cool. Um, see you next time. Thanks for being here, and uh, God bless you. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>